0: Well, how many of you have ever done a Tough mutter? Let me see a show of hands. If you've done a Tough mutter, okay. Few of you, maybe, it may look like maybe maybe one. How many of you would like to do one? You haven't done one, but you'd like to do it. You're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Okay, let me just discourage you of that right now, all right? I've never done one, I don't plan on doing one. And one of the reasons why is because one of the stations, one of the obstacles in a Tough mutter, is called electroshock therapy, okay? And it's everything it sounds like. Let, let, me, let me show you what I'm talking about here. This is electroshock therapy. You are literally running through and get shocked. You get electrocuted. And when you do, it doesn't feel good. I asked someone this week, Jacob on our staff, I said, hey, he's done a Tough mutter. I said, hey, how does that feel? He said it hurts. Just like you would think it would, it hurts. Okay, and when you get shocked, you drop to the ground just like that. You lose all muscle control and you go down. You go down in the mud. That's what electroshock therapy is. It shocks you and you flip out. You go to the ground, okay? So so that's what happens in a tough mudder. You you get muddy, you you run, you do obstacles, you fall down. You literally, at some point, you have to crawl. You are crawling in the mud, right? And you're getting shocked as you crawl through the mud. It's crazy. I don't understand why people want to do this, okay? I don't even want to go running. Much less get shocked by electroshock therapy in a tough mudder. Okay, but but this is actually—it's a great picture of sanctification of growing in your relationship with Jesus. I'm going to show you more about what I mean by that because that might sound a little bit weird, but this is a great picture of the Christian life. Crawling at times, running at times, walking at times, covered in the mud, but still falling forward all along the way. That's the Christian life. If you got your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We are going through the book of Colossians verse by verse, and we're inviting you to study it with us, not just in here, but in our city groups. If you're not in a city group, join one. Uh, We invite you to study it with us in our daily devotionals this next week. We'll break down these verses, jump on our daily devos. Uh, You can read these verses. We'll provide commentary and some application points and prayer points for you as well. So, Join us in our study of Colossians. And here's what we've said the theme of Colossians is. Christ supreme is the theme of the book of Colossians. And here's where you can fill in the blank on our app. Download our app, the City Church Love it. Click message notes and you can uh, have all of our points and and quotes and verses. Everything's gonna be there for you to follow along. You can fill in the blank and just kind of stay engaged in our time together. But we said Christ supreme is the theme of Colossians. And here's what we mean by that. A relationship with Jesus will change everything in your life because he becomes supreme in your life. And so that will change everything about your life. When we say Christ is supreme, we're saying he's worthy, like we sang about a second ago. He's worthy of all of our worship, our adoration, our praise, our time, our money, our sacrifice. He's worthy of it all. When we say Christ supreme is the theme, we're saying Jesus is sufficient. He alone will fill that hunger and that thirst in your soul. He said, I'm the living water. If you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. I'm the bread of life. If you eat from me, you'll never hunger again. Jesus said, I'm sufficient to fill that hunger, that thirst, that longing that's in your soul. When we say Christ is supreme, we're saying he is God's will for your life. A lot of us kind of grow up wondering, what's God's will for my life? Should should I go to this school or that school? Uh, Should it be this job or that job? This girl or that boy? And we think that these things and these questions about these things and figuring these things out is, is, is kind of figuring out God's will. We've got God's will for your life in God's word. And God's will for your life is a relationship with him through a person, his son, Jesus. God's will for your life is Jesus Christ himself. And so that's what we mean when we say Jesus Christ is supreme. Now last week we said Jesus Christ is supreme to complete. That Christians say it's Jesus plus nothing. And Jesus plus nothing will save you. Jesus plus nothing will sanctify you. We're gonna talk about that more just here in a little bit. And Jesus plus nothing will glorify you, will bring you home to heaven. We said the counterfeit says it's Jesus plus something. You're not really uh, complete in Christ. In fact, you're incomplete in Christ is what a counterfeit teaching or counterfeit gospel will say. And so you need Jesus plus something, fill in the blank. You need Jesus plus my secret special, fill in the blank. We talked about that last week. But we said, no, a Christian says we're complete in Christ. It's Jesus plus nothing. Here's what we're talking about this week. This week, we're talking about Christ is supreme to sanctify. Christ is supreme to sanctify you, to transform you. That's what that word means. You will be transformed as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as you walk with Jesus, as you get to know Jesus, you will be transformed into and more into the likeness of Jesus. You will hate sin, you will run towards holiness, you will pursue Jesus, and that's the process of sanctification. That's kind of what it looks like. But here's what you've got to understand. Before we talk about sanctification, you must understand everything that we've already talked about in chapter one and chapter two. You've got to understand that because the gospel is not you do, it's, it's done. That's the great news of the gospel. You don't do better and try harder your way into the kingdom of God, that's you do. And the gospel is not you do, the gospel is it's done. It's done in Jesus, that's what we said last week. You're complete in Christ, you're completely justified, you're completely regenerated, you're victorious in Christ. And so the gospel says, it's done. Now, Paul's gonna transition here in chapter three. It is done. It is finished, but now it kind of flips. And because it's done, you got to catch this, because it's done from that finished work of Christ on the cross and through that, I do. Because of what Jesus has done and through what Jesus has done on the cross and what he accomplished for me on the cross and the new covenant, because of that and through that now I do. It's not... I do, that's not the gospel, the gospel is it's done. But now, th- chapter three, verse one, we're gonna transition here. And because it's done, and through that power and from that place of victory, now... I do, and I live the Christian life. And next week, you'll see we participate in the body of Christ, and the week after that, we're, we're sanctified in our families and through our participation in our families and in the workplace, and, and so we see how this all works out, how this new identity in Christ kind of fleshes itself out in our lives this week, in the church next week, and in our families, and in the workplace in the weeks to come. That's where we're going here in chapter three. But you've gotta get this first. Identity in Christ comes first, and then application. Then obedience, Paul will say here in chapter three, verse one, if you've been raised with Christ, now we enter sanctification, but you got to get that first. You see the theology comes before application. You got to get the theology right. And then we live it out. Justification, what we talked about last week, being made right with God through the gospel, becoming a child of God, your sin is paid for. That you, you, you've been you were dead to sin, but now you 've been raised to a new life in Christ. we talked about that last week that 's justification okay that 's completing Christ, but justification, this new identity in christ you 're a child of God now always produces sanctification it always does this new identity always results in and produces sanctification, this pursuit of Jesus. So watch this. We do now. We we obey and we pursue holiness and we turn away from sin. We do not to be saved, but because we've been saved. Does that make sense? You, you got to get that. And if if that kind of hasn't gone off in your heart yet, you've got to study the scripture and pour into the scripture because until you get that right, you will experience frustration and guilt and shame in this life until you understand this and until through the power of the Holy Spirit, that light bulb goes off in your hearts that I live a holy life and I run from sin in my life because of what Jesus has done for me. It's kind of like this. I don't obey God in order to be loved by God. I obey God because God loves me and I love him. It's kind of like this. I don't do or I don't obey to be loved by my dad. I obey And I do because my dad loves me and I love my dad and I wanna pursue this relationship with him. And so I do whatever it takes to to be in this relationship and to grow in this relationship. Jesus said, when you give your life to me, you're born again. You're born again into this new family of God and you're born again as a baby in Christ. Well, when you're born into this world physically, you grow up, right? And what happens as you grow, typically? You begin to look more and more like your father or more and more like your mother. Kids, I'm sorry to disappoint you, okay? Look to, look to the left, look to the right, look at, the, look at one of those parents and that's what you're gonna look like one day, okay? I'm sorry to disappoint you, all right? But that's what we do. We grow up and we look more and more like our parents. Same thing is true when you're born again into the family of God. You now begin to grow spiritually and as you grow up, you look more and more like Jesus, that's what happens to a Christian. It's just what happens. Justification always produces sanctification, this running from sin and this pursuit of Jesus and holiness. And so we're gonna talk more about this. Turn in your Bible, Colossians chapter three, starting in verse one. Follow along in your copy of the scripture or in our app, just select message notes and follow along with us. Paul says this, since you've been raised to new life with Christ. Here's the transitional statement. We've talked about your, the identity of Jesus in chapter one, your complete identity in Christ in chapter two. Now here's the transitional statement. Since you've been raised to new life in Christ, we said it last week and you get baptized, you're, you're dead to your old self, you come up out of the water, it represents this new life that you have now in Christ. So since that's true, okay, identity first, now, Paul's gonna say, live a life worthy of that calling. He would say this over and over in all of his letters. If you go and read his letter, he'll say, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. So in light of your new identity, now you're gonna live a life in light of that where you run from sin and you pursue holiness. So you've been raised to new life in Christ, watch this. Set your sights, now we're getting into sanctification. Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, by the way, Christian, if you're, if you're a Christian, then Christ is your life. Your life is all about Jesus, if you're a Christian. So Christ is your life, is revealed. When he's revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So Paul is saying, Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, we will share in his glory. You've heard us say this before. If God's not done yet, or if God's not done yet, if you're not seeing the glory yet, glory, Christian, is around the corner. Regardless of what you're going through, the suffering that you're going through in this life, glory is coming, it's around the corner. And when Jesus returns, we will share in his glory. So in light of that day, we put to death the sinful earthly things lurking. Paul says they're, they're lurking inside of us, in our hearts have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. The anger of God, Paul says, the wrath of God is going to be revealed against sin. And so for the Christian who's given their life to Jesus, Jesus took all the wrath of God for your sin upon himself. And we said that last week. So you're now complete in Christ. You're, holy, you're forgiven of your sin, past, present, and future. You're now holy in the eyes of God with the righteousness of Christ. That's who you are now. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, then one day the wrath of God is going to be poured out on you for your sin for all eternity in a place called hell. So you can choose to give your life to Jesus and he can be what's called your sin covering He covers you, you're hidden in Christ, Christ is in you. And so he takes all the wrath of God for your sin and he gives you his righteousness. And so now you're right with God. But if you haven't given your life to Jesus, then you don't have that sin covering. You don't have that wrath covering. There's a penalty for sin, there's a punishment for sin. And if you've never given your life to Jesus before, then that's the destination that awaits you. And so turn from your sin today, give your life to Jesus and be forgiven of your sin made holy and righteous in the eyes of God. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice behavior, malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Some translations say this is harmful language. This would be like cutting someone down or saying bad things or mean things to them in a harsh way, in an arrogant prideful way. Don't lie to each other For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have this new nature, this spirit, Holy Spirit nature inside of you. We said this last week, your old nature, your sinful nature was cut away. And now you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And so now we battle with our flesh that's still cursed because of sin, just like this world is. We battle with the lusts of our flesh but we do so with the Holy Spirit inside of us now from this place of victory. And so he says, be renewed, watch this, as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Put on your new nature, this is sanctification, and be renewed, that's transformed, as you learn to know your creator and become like him. That's sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. And as you, Paul says, as you get to know Jesus, You will be renewed. It will happen to you. You will be sanctified as you get to know Jesus. But we've got to understand that our identity in Christ, we talked about the identity of Jesus in chapter one, our complete identity in Christ, chapter two. So this new identity produces this new mentality, Paul says, and morality and purity and priority. All of that changes when you give your life to Jesus and you become new in Christ, you're raised to this new life. And this new life brings about, produces, it just springs up inside of you. This new mentality and morality and purity and priority. This identity, this new identity that I have in Christ as a son, as a daughter of God, this new identity changes my heart from the inside out. And now I hate sin and I'm broken over my sin because of the way that it hurts me and it hurts the heart of God. I'm broken over my sin. And so now as a Christian, I run from sin. I may fall just like in the Tough Mudder. I I get shocked. I go to the ground. I get muddy, but I get back up and I keep running from sin, crawling from sin and pursuing the holiness of God with the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the holiness inside of me, giving me these new desires. So this is sanctification. And Paul says this process of sanctification is going to continue until Christ is revealed. You see, we live between two advents, the two advents of Christ. Jesus came the first time as a baby, he was born, he lived, he died on the cross to save us from our sin, he rose again three days later, that was the first, that was the advent of Christ, right? Now the scripture says he's coming back, he's going to return, he's going to put an end to all the way things are, he's going to make everything new, he's going to set up his kingdom here on this earth, and he is going to reign and he's gonna make everything new on this earth. There will be a new earth, a new city. It's called the new Jerusalem. It's gonna come out of heaven down to earth. We'll have new bodies and that will be eternity for us here on a new earth, new bodies in this new city. That's what Jesus is coming back to do. He's gonna put an end to wickedness forever. All sin will be gone forever. All suffering and sickness and famine and, and earthquakes and all of these things, they're all going to be gone forever when Jesus returns. But for now, we live in this time between the advents and at the cross, our sin was completely and totally paid for. It was done, it was finished. But now, as we await the return of Christ, you and I go to war. We go to war with our enemy and we go to war with our flesh the Bible calls it. These these lustful desires that come from our flesh, the lust of our eyes, the, the the lust of our flesh. And so until Jesus returns, Paul says, we go to war. We go to battle, running from sin and pursuing Jesus. And that's the Christian life, it's sanctification. It's this bloody, dirty, muddy, running and walking and crawling pursuit of Jesus. And when we're convicted of sin, the Christian doesn't embrace that sin. They don't celebrate that sin. When we're convicted of sin, we embrace the conviction and we run to Jesus who alone can help us. So we don't run from Jesus when we sin. We don't run from the church when we sin. We run to it to find our salvation, to find our help. The scripture says when we need it most, this is sanctification. So let me just give you kind of a short definition of sanctification. Here's our big idea for the day. A new who produces new do. New who, that's your identity. That's your new identity in Christ. That your sinful nature's been cut away. You've received the Holy Spirit of God. That's the new covenant now. Your heart of stone's been taken out. Your heart of flesh has been given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. God changes you from the inside out. This is the new covenant. So this new who, you're a child of God now. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're, you're, the scripture says you're now royalty because you're a child of the king. And you are co-heirs with Christ. And so everything that Jesus is going to get and everything that Jesus has received, you are going to receive. It's yours as a co-heir with Christ. So your royalty now, this is who you are. That's why Paul says when he encourages these churches to follow Jesus and to pursue holiness, he says, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received, worthy of your identity. You see, you've got a new who. And it produces, it just produces a new do. Justification always produces sanctification. This new positional reality, your legal standing before God as holy and righteous, now has to be worked out in a believer's practical living. It's why Paul said in Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That's why Paul said we work out our salvation now with fear and trembling. What that means is is we, we now grow more into the image of Jesus as we know him and pursue him. It's done, it's complete. You've been raised to new life, you've been born again, but now we grow and we become more like our father in heaven. So what does this look like? What does sanctification look like? Let's talk about this practically in the life of a believer, kind of on a day in and day out basis. What does this look like? Well, number one, sanctification looks like looking up. We, we, we are continually looking up. Look what Paul says here in Colossians chapter three, starting in verse one, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven. Paul says, sanctification starts with looking up. It starts with worship. We set our sights on Jesus and the realities of heaven where Christ is. And so Paul says, first we look up because ultimately it's all about Jesus. The life of a Christian is all about Jesus. Paul said, Christ is your life. And and so the, the life of a Christian is all about Jesus because we've gotten the best thing that we could ever get. We've received the best blessing we could ever receive, the greatest gift we could ever receive in this new relationship with God, and it's Christ himself. It is Jesus himself. And so now watch this, because I've already received everything I could have ever hoped for in Jesus himself. I'm okay when things don't go my way. When I don't get what I wanted, when I don't get it, when I wanted to get it, when God doesn't do things the way I think they should be done, I'm okay. Like Paul, I'm content no matter the circumstance, whether well fed or not fed at all. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. And it's because I've got enough in Jesus. He's enough for me. He's more than I could ever possibly have hoped for. So Christian, you get the best gift ever as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you get Jesus himself. And when you get to heaven one day, the best part of heaven is Jesus himself. That's the best part, we get Jesus. So a Christian, Paul says, is looking up, constantly seeking him because it's all about him. And Paul says, as he talks about growing spiritually and running from sin and pursuing holiness. Look what he says here in chapter three, three verse one, this happens with Christ. Three verse one, it, it, it happens by looking where, to heaven where Christ is. Three verse three, it happens with Christ. Three verse four, it happens when Christ. Three verse four, it happens with Christ. Again, Paul is stressing the total sufficiency of Jesus to sanctify you. And so like he says in verse 10, as you get to know Jesus, as you look up and you get to know Jesus and you worship Jesus, you are transformed and you become more like him. It's interesting here because this set your sights in Greek is a keep on looking, it's a keep on seeking. It's not a kind of one and done kind of thing. It's a continual hourly, daily action of looking up. I keep on setting my sights. It's this continuous action. It's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And then everything else will be added unto you as well. So sanctification looks like looking up and setting my sights on Jesus and getting to know Jesus and worshiping Jesus. And as I do so, something begins to happen inside. I'm transformed and I'm renewed. Verse 10 says, and I begin to look more like him. All right. Looking now at number two, sanctification looks like looking in. I look up and now I begin to look in. Verse five When Paul starts talking about all these sins, he says it starts, did you notice this? Within. All these sins, he says, are lurking within. And so I have to look in to pursue this process of sanctification. I look up, but now I've got to look in because all sin starts inside. It starts in my heart. And as I look up, I realize my heart doesn't reflect the glory of God, the holiness of God. I don't, I don't love God the way that I should. And I think about the things of this earth more so than I think about the things of heaven. When I look into my heart, let let, let me explain it like this. Um, I went to watch uh, the Texas Tech baseball game on, on Friday at two o'clock. I wasn't planning to, but my uh, friend, Brad, who's the pastor of Hillside, texted me that morning. He said, Hey, I got a ticket. You want to go? It's free. I was like, yeah, man, I'm I'm, I'm down. And then I started to backtrack and I started to think it's, it's going to be hot. It's going to be 108 out there. It's going to be real, real hot. And so I had to decide, do I want to go sit outside and watch a baseball game for three and a half hours in 100, uh, 108 degree heat, uh, I decided to go, and it was it was hot right? I mean, there's just no way around it. It was very hot. I was sweating through my shirt. I was sweating all over the place. It was so hot. They were putting messages up on the screen and coming over the PA and reminding people, Hey, drink your bottle of water, go get it refilled at our refilling station. If you start getting dizzy, if you start feeling weak, go to our heat centers. They had heat centers for people. If they were getting hot, they had nurses walking around with big old backpacks on. I assume filled with water and all kinds of other things to help people in case they got heat exhaustion. People, including myself, we went to this baseball game intentionally. No one tricked us. We did it on purpose. We went there, we showed up, we watched this game for three and a half plus hours in 108 degree weather. It was miserable watching that game in that kind of heat, but, but we chose it, right? I, ch- I chose to do that. The next day, yesterday, my son Levi's playing in a baseball tournament in Midland right now. And uh, we, we traveled to Midland. So go travel about an hour and a half for this game. We get out there, it's about 105, double header, okay? From the time that we show up early for the first game, the break between the games, the next game, the after. I mean, we were outside probably in about 105 uh, degree weather for about seven hours, probably. And uh, they asked me to help coach this time. And so I was out there. We're dumping our heads in coolers filled with water. We got these cool rags around our necks. We're wetting our hats down and putting them back on. We're covering up in sun. We're doing all of this for 14-year-olds to go out on a field with a stick and a ball and a glove and play a game. I went to that tech game to watch 18 to 22-year-olds for three and a half hours in Hotter than hell kind of weather, okay? For for three and a half hours, all right? To watch 18 to 22 year olds play a game with a stick, a ball, and a glove. Now, I say that just to show you, and I'm guessing, I'm not alone here, the the sacrifice and the things that we are willing to do, pay, and endure in order to be a part of things like this. And listen, there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. Don't don't hear me saying that. I love baseball. My kids play, I, I, I love it but I I think we can all fill in the blank there, right? Whether it's baseball, basketball, football, cheerleading, uh, gymnastics, hunting, golf, whatever it is, most of us are willing to pay all kinds of money, spend all kinds of time in insane kinds of weather to do the things that we love to do, right? I mean, let's just be honest, we we all are. If If your child's involved in any activity like mine is in baseball, they're doing three events a week. That's like 10 hours a week. And we pay money to do this. And, and we've all got our fill in the blank, right? I mean, let's just say sports isn't your bag. If you watched um, Infinity War or Endgame, you devoted about three to four hours of your life to each one of those movies, right? If you watched the new Batman movie that, that came out, with it, the one that they redid, that thing was like four, five, six hours long. I don't know, I, I forgot. I was sitting there for so long, I, I forgot what time it was. I mean, that's how long it was. And again, there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. But, but are you tracking with me right now? I mean, do, 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 do you get, do you see in your own heart and in your own life, the time, the money, the devotion that we will pour into earthly things that we won't into spiritual things? I just wanna be real with you for a second. It was a little over a month ago, our AC went out in here on a Sunday morning. I was out of town. And uh, one of our staff members texted me. I think Mark told no one to tell me, but one of them told me I was gone on vacation and he, they, this, this one uh, guy texted me and told me the AC was out. And so I texted you know, Mark and Brandon, I'm like, what's going on? They're, they sent me videos of the fans that were blowing in here and telling me the AC was out. And I was panicked. I was like, oh my gosh, this can be a terrible experience. That's why they didn't, probably no one, they didn't want to tell me. And uh, I, was, I was freaking out. I'm seeing all these fans. I'm like, ah, oh, it's going to be a bad experience. We get here, we're trying to get it fixed. We get it, we think we have it fixed. The next Sunday, it goes out again. We break out all the fans, the fans are blowing. I'm here, pre- I'm sweating like crazy in between the services. I'm back there with a fan and a, a AC little portable thing and I'm trying to cool off and wipe down and everything. And I'm, I'm worried the whole time there's gonna be a bad experience. Do you, under, do you see the concern there? No one was concerned. No one was concerned if I was miserable at that game in Midland yesterday. Why? Because they knew we love baseball, we wanna be there. And most know, if you wanna play, you'll do whatever it takes. No one apologized to me. No one apologized to me for going to the tech. That was my choice. I chose to endure all that. No one was worried. And, and, and I'm not saying this about you, I'm saying this about me. We. I just want us to just to kind of just examine our hearts here the time, the money, the concentration that it takes to to play a baseball, to to be at a baseball game, to to, to watch it and to not zone out and to want to leave or go do something else, to to watch a three or a a four hour movie. Are you you tracking with me? The kind of time and concentration I'll give to something of this world. Again, that's not bad in and of itself, but let's just then compare it to our level of desire and willingness to sacrifice and suffer and endure and what we will do in order to be a part of the body of Christ, much less serve in the body of Christ, that what the things that we will do and suffer and sacrifice for the cause of Christ, just, just, just think about it with me for a sec. Just consider your own heart, the things that we give ourselves to it's called worship. And what we are willing to do in order to worship the things of this world compared to what we aren't willing to do to worship the God of this universe just exam, Just look in. This is what a Christian does. This is sanctification. It's looking in at my heart and seeing that I don't really love God the way that I should or the way the Holy Spirit is leading me to. I don't really have a passion for the things of heaven like I have a passion for the things of this world. Christ isn't, let's just be honest, Christ really isn't my life. Paul, Paul said, Christ is your life. Christian. is what your life is all about. And, and so, as Christians, we examine our hearts and say, What really? Is, is he really? Uh, my, my, my life is all wrapped up in Jesus and pursuing Jesus and caring about Jesus. I mean, is that really there? So you got to look in. This is sanctification, it's examining our hearts, and when we see that our love for the things of this world outweigh our love for God, and we, we, we realize that we're idol worshipers, we have to cry out to God. We have to ask for the Holy Spirit to change our, this is hourly and daily sanctification, where I cry out to God and I ask the Holy Spirit, change my heart. You've got to change. I can't do it. I can't change my heart. Jesus, change my heart. This is the new covenant. It's not I start working and trying to fix all these things. It's God change my, as I look in, And I see in my heart when I look in that it doesn't measure up to what I see when I look up. I gotta cry out to God, change my heart because that's the new covenant. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts and changes our desires because we can't. And Christ isn't our life, but the Holy Spirit comes and begins to work in my heart. And now Christ right now is my life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so as we, look in and we see it doesn't measure to look to what we see when we look up we just go right back to looking up god help me save me rescue me change my heart third sanctification looks like looking out i look out i look at my actions i look at my lifestyle paul said you got to put to death sexual morality which is which is sexual activity any any kind of sexual activity outside of a marriage covenant marriage relationship between a man and a woman That's what the Greek word is there. When you study all of the scripture, that's what sexual morality is in the Bible. It is any kind of sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And so he says, put to death sexual immorality, greed, anger, slander, lying. Now, many would say, and probably rightfully so, that the church has been mostly obsessed with sexual sin. And I think that's probably true. I think that's an accurate description, but here, Christian, I want you to see that Paul lists greed, anger, slander, lying, and he puts all of those on equal footing as sexual immorality. That greed is just as wicked as sexual immorality because this greed leads to compromising for the sake of power and money. Now, Christians on both sides of the aisle, historically, historically, obviously today will lob grenades at each other from across the aisle and accuse the other of wrongdoing. And in Christians, we will accuse the other of sinful living or believing. And so Conservatives will accuse liberals of compromising when it comes to sexual sin or the sanctity of life. Liberals will accuse conservatives of their greed, their slander, their lying, their harmful or racist speech. But a Christian who follows Jesus knows that Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye first. The scripture says, judgment starts with the house of God. Judgment starts with me first. I judge myself lest I be judged by someone else or by God. So I, I judge myself first. I take the log out of my own eye. Then and only then am I able to now approach my brother with humility and brokenness and thankfulness that God has been merciful to me and patient to me. And now I can approach and have a conversation with my brother about maybe the speck of sawdust in their eye. But Jesus said to do that, You got to take the log out of your own eye. Now make no mistake, Jesus is not, if you think Jesus tells people just not to judge, you've gotten it all wrong. That's not at all what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7. It's actually kind of more of like a formula for judging someone. And so Jesus says, the, the formula here, the way it works is you take the log out of your own eye and now I have the proper spirit and attitude with which to confront my brother. But even when I confront my brother about his sin or destructive living or believing, it's happening in a living room or across a dinner table. It's never on social media. That is absolutely a waste of your time. Christian, we we gotta stop lobbing grenades on social media. It is absolutely, Fruitless. It is a waste of time and it is only serving to push people further away from Jesus. But Jesus said this begins, this conversation begins with, with, with judging myself first. I, I don't look at the outward lifestyle of my brother. No, I look at the lifestyle, I look at my actions, my lifestyle, and when I see it doesn't measure up to the holiness and the the, the glory of God, I humble myself and in brokenness over my sin, I cry out to God for help to turn from that sin. You see, sanctification is not behavior modification. It's not, ah. I see all this this, 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 this sinful living and, and, and this, this wrong believing, and now I've gotta to try to fix all this up and, and one, two, three, it and step one, I gotta stop doing this, and step two, I gotta start doing this. No, 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 that's behavior modification. We, we don't start trying to fix ourselves and clean ourselves up. When Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, to come and follow him, he said, hey, come follow me. Just, just right there, right where you're at. He was living in sin. He said, hey, come follow me. And as you follow me, remember, as you get to know your creator, who is Jesus, you then will become more like I follow Jesus. And then he cleans me up from the inside out. You see, sanctification is this hourly and daily looking up. I see the holiness and glory of God. Then I begin to look in and reflect. that's not in my heart. I begin to look out and I see that's not in my lifestyle either. So now what do I do I, that? What I see on the outside, Jesus has reveals a problem on the inside. He said, everything that you do and say comes out of the overflow of what's in your heart. And so I look out, I see, man, that's not right. That shows I got a problem on the inside. So, so I look in, I can't change my own heart. So now what do I do? I go and I look back up. God, only you can change my heart. Would you change my heart right now? I'm living this way. It reveals a problem in my heart because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. So anytime I'm living in disobedience or living in sin, it reveals I've got a heart problem. I've got a love problem and I need God to change my heart. So I go back and I look up to God and say, God, change me from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit because I got a problem on the inside. I've got a heart problem and only you can fix that. When Isaiah was in the presence of God in Isaiah chapter six, and he experiences the holiness of God, the the glory of God. He, he looks in, he he looks out and he falls on his knees and says, God have mercy on me. I am unclean. I I live among an unclean people. What he was saying there's, I'm a sinner. I, I live among sinful people. We are sinful in light of the holiness and glory of God. We are sinful. We don't measure up. But what happens next is interesting. Isaiah doesn't leave God. He doesn't run from God and begin to say, oh, I gotta fix all this up so that I can go back into the presence of God. I've gotta clean my life up. Or he doesn't do this. Man, that's just too hard. That's too much. Or in his guilt and shame, he doesn't run from God. No, in the presence of God, God rescues him and saves him. He brings a, a burning coal from the altar where the sacrifice for sin was laid and would die in your place for your sin. And he takes the coal, God takes a coal from the altar and he puts it on Isaiah's lips and he cleanses him. It is God who cleanses. It is God who heals. It's God who puts you back together. So, so when I sin and when I see and when I look out and when I look in and I see it doesn't measure up to the holiness of God, I don't run from God, I run to God. I run into the presence of God that he might cleanse me and put me back together. You see, it's not one, two, three, it's follow me. And as you follow Jesus, then you will become more like him as he changes you from the inside out. Fourth, sanctification looks like looking away. Looking away. Paul says, you died so now put to death sin. You died to sin, so now put sin to death. In the same way you are raised to new life, so now I'm gonna walk in that new life and pursue holiness. The same thing is true with sin. You died to sin, that's what happens when when you give your life to Jesus, and we represent that in baptism, when you go underneath the water. We we put you under, and if you were really bad, we hold you there for a little bit longer. I'm just kidding, we don't do that. (laughs) But we we represent in our baptism even that when we gave our lives to Jesus, we died to sin. And so Paul says, you died to sin. So in light of this identity now in Christ that I'm dead to sin, now put sin to death. And so he says, put it to death, run away from sin. It's, It's getting violent with your sin. Jesus said it like this. If your left eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What is Jesus saying there? Act physically, really go do that? No, 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 no. Jesus is saying, get violent with your sin, get extreme. And Paul's saying the same thing here, put it to death. You've got to kill it or it's going to kill you. Uh, l- let me explain it to you like this. You realize there's a difference between the petting zoo and the big boy zoo, right? There's a big difference. At the petting zoo, we we let our kids go into the petting zoo and sit in the the hay and the straw that's filled with poop, right, we let them go in there and hold the baby duck and hold the baby chick and pet them, and we say, oh, isn't that cute, it's so sweet, and we take pictures and we take video of our children holding little baby chicks and ducks in the petting zoo, right, there's a gate to the petting zoo where you can get in and you can go sit down, That's a lot different from the regular zoo, right? If you go to the lion enclosure, there's no gate. You don't get to go in and and pet the lion, right? Why? Because that lion will eat you. The lion is dangerous and there's a big wall and there's a lot of times there's a fence and then there's a big cavern at the zoos I've been to. There's a big cavern so that you can't even get close to the lion. So the lion can't even jump and get you. You don't flirt with a lion. You don't pet a lion. You get as far away as you can from the lion, right? God said to Cain, when Cain was being tempted to go and murder his brother, he said, "Cain's sin is crouching at the door waiting to devour you. Sin is like a wild animal. It's a wild beast. It is Satan crouching, ready to pounce and devour you and take out your life. And so Paul says, you gotta put it to death. You, you can't flirt with it. You don't pet the line. You gotta run from it and you gotta get extreme with it and you gotta get violent with it. You gotta put it to death. You gotta kill it or it's gonna kill you. For the Christian, that means it's just gonna ruin your life and you're gonna experience the degrading consequences of sin and the unfortunate consequences of sin in this life. You're saved from the eternal consequence, but you're gonna experience some destruction, some ruin, some pain, some regret in this life if you flirt with sin because sin will kill you. For the non-Christian, Paul said the wrath of God is going to be revealed against these sins. And so for the non-Christian, this kill it, give your life to Jesus or it kills you is eternal punishment. It's the wrath of God being poured out on you for your sin for all eternity. So give your life to Jesus today so that he might be your wrath, your sin covering. And you'll be forgiven of your sin. You'll be made right with God. And then you'll enter into this process, this new relationship with God through Jesus. But what if your life doesn't look like this? What, as we've talked today, what, what if your life doesn't look like this? Like there's no conviction or brokenness over your sin. There's no desire to run from sin and to pursue holiness. Christ really isn't your life. What, what does that mean? Well, number one, for some of you, it means you're you're definitely not a Christian and you know you're not because you've never given your life to Jesus. And so you're here saying, hey, this isn't really been, this isn't me, and you're right. It's not because you're not a follower of Jesus. You haven't cared about these things. And that makes sense. And to you, I just wanna say, hey, you are welcome here. Part of our family values as a church that we take our members through says that you can belong before you behave and you can belong before you believe. We, we want you here. We want you to come and, and, and study and, and find out and discover and, and figure some of these things out. Maybe get some of your questions answered. We want you to belong before you ever behave and, and live like a Christian. We don't expect you to. And so we invite you to just to join us. And we invite you to, to struggle and even doubt and have your questions as you come here. We, we want you to feel welcome, but belonging. That's my prayer, it's my hope. But two, maybe your life doesn't look like this and you claim to be a believer, but maybe you're not. Maybe you've been claiming to be something that you're not. You see, if you don't, if you don't ever have this feeling of brokenness over your sin, if you don't ever have conviction through the Holy Spirit for your sin and this desire to run from sin and this desire to pursue Jesus and run after Jesus because Christ is your life, if that's not you, if this isn't indicative of your life and you claim to be a Christian, then maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. Paul said in Romans chapter three that people who claim to be believers but continue to live in sin just thinking that God will forgive them. Paul says their condemnation is deserved. Meaning they're fooling themselves. They think there's something they're not and they're gonna pay for their sin in hell one day. Their condemnation, Paul said, is deserved. They've claimed to be something, Paul says they're not. Because Christians don't live a life just taking advantage of the grace of God. That's not a Christian. Christians don't continue just to to live in sin, unrepentant and not convicted about it. That's not a Christian. John said it like this in first John, he said that they're continuing to live in sin or they're leaving from us reveals that they were never really one of us. It reveals they were never really born again. They were never really a Christian. It wasn't like they were a Christian, they messed up and they lost something. No. John says their continual life in sin, or their leaving, their going out from us, reveals they weren't really ever a Christian to begin with. Maybe they thought they were, maybe they claimed they were, but, but that's not who they were. They were never really one of us, John says. Wherever you find yourself this morning, I invite you in this moment to run to Jesus or run back, to Jesus, to examine your heart this morning and run to Jesus. You see, verse 10 is the key. If you are one of us, if you are a follower of Jesus, verse 10 here is the key. If you've been justified, you are complete in Christ, verse 10 is the key. He says this, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator, that's Jesus and become like him. Here's what's interesting. This be renewed in Greek is passive. It happens to you. This renewal, this transformation, sanctification, this being renewed happens to you as you learn to know your creator. As you learn about Jesus and as you follow Jesus, you become like him. It happens to you. When Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That happens as you get to know Jesus. He transforms you from the inside out. As we said earlier, a new who always produces a new do. New who always produces new do. D.A. Carson wrote in his book, For the Love of God, volume two, he said this, people do not drift towards holiness apart. I love this right here, apart from grace-driven effort. We, we don't drift to holiness. It takes grace-driven, gospel-driven, Christ-driven, Holy Spirit-driven effort. People do not gravitate Toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards dobe- disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated apart. From grace-driven, Christ-driven, gospel-driven, Holy Spirit-driven efforts, that sanctification, and we do so until Christ is revealed, until Jesus returns. But until then, Christian maturity, spiritual growth, is this continue, hourly, daily, continual looking up to God and running to God when what's on the outside and what's on the inside doesn't measure up. It's a lot like a Tough Mudder. I'm running, sometimes I'm walking, sometimes I'm crawling, sometimes I'm falling and I'm getting muddy again, but then I get back up. And then sometimes I'm walking, sometimes I'm crawling, sometimes I'm running. It's kind of like when a new baby begins to learn to walk. You ever seen this before, parents? You, maybe maybe you remember when your when your child first learned how to walk. They, they start walking, and, and it's kind of gradual. And they take a step, and they kind of they'll kind of bobble back and forth, right? And then they take another step, and they kind of they kind of they kind of bobble, and they're 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 reaching out their hands, right? And, and when this happens, parents today, anyways, have their phones out and they're videoing it and they're taking pictures of it and they're celebrating it. Their child may fall on their face right in front of them, but it's yay! Look what you did! You did so good! And then what do we do? Well, we got to post it. We posted to social media. And we want the whole world to know that our baby took a couple of steps. Here's the video of Nixon. Uh, boom. When she first learned to walk. Da, da, da. You can do it. Ah! Good job, Nixie. Nixie, oh. come here. Nixon. Oh, I'm go da, 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 da. No, that's the wrong way. I Where are you going, Peta?" Did you notice after she made it the first time she turned around and she was ready for round two, she's ready to try again. And as she turned around, she started taking a couple of steps. she said, Dati Dati, Dati." She holds out her hands. She walks, she stumbles, she crawls. Hands out, calling out for her dad. Knowing her dad is celebrating even those baby steps. You know, when a baby first learns how to walk, we we as parents, when they fall, don't say, how could you be so stupid? Why why can't you get this? I, I don't understand. It's walking. It's so easy. Why can't you get this right? No parent says that to their child. What do they do when they take one step? When they fall and they get back up and they take another step and they fall and they get back up and they take another step and then they crawl and then they take another step. What does the parent do? They're clapping and they're cheering the whole time. Way to go. Look what you did. Look how you're doing. It's amazing. The scripture says there's a party in heaven when one sinner repents. And when you begin to follow Jesus and take that step and fall and you get back up and you crawl and you walk and you run, your heavenly father's got arms open up wide saying, look, look at what my son's doing. Look at what my daughter's doing. They're all muddy, they're falling, they're crawling, but they're still falling forward to me. That is sanctification and your father loves it. Would you pray with me? God. I pray in this moment, you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and you would give us a passion for grace-driven, Christ-driven, gospel-driven, Holy Spirit-driven effort this week to run from sin, to run to Jesus, to run to holiness. And when we fall, when we get in the mud, God, let us not turn back or run away from you, but run to you from where our help comes from. In Jesus' name, amen.